I want to, uh, it's been, been a couple of weeks. Obviously, I wasn't here last week, and a bunch of folks were at the GO conference. And, but I just, I want to continue in the vein uh, of two weeks ago. And so I will start with the main verse or verses that I used a couple of weeks ago, and we'll go from there. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse number 8, Paul says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. And then the Amplified says it this way, So being, so being thus tenderly and affectionately desirous of you, We continue to share with you not only God's good news, the gospel, but also our own lives as well. For you had become so very dear to us. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done, all that you're doing, all that you're going to do. I thank you, God, that you are are the builder of your church. We're here to be laborers with you, but ultimately you're the one doing the work. I thank you for the work you've already done, and I thank you for the work you're continuing to do. I thank you for all that you've done in us as a congregation that brought us to where we are now, but I trust that you will continue shaping us, molding us, Lord, into who you would have us to be, not not just trying to be what some other church is or some other group of people are, not just trying to measure up to a, 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 based on comparison to others, but whatever it is you have for us as a congregation, a body to be, that's what we want to be. So I pray that you would continue tonight ministering, speaking to us, to us as a congregation, furthering us along to where we need to be, to where you would have us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just as, I guess, an extremely brief reminder, and then maybe if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, this verse just jumped out at me uh, several weeks ago now, and, and this this distinction, and I think the Amplified makes it even clearer, but this distinction here between a willingness to share the gospel, a willingness to share the good news, but based on what this verse is saying, a willingness to share the gospel is not automatically the same thing as sharing ourselves. That the implication of what Paul is saying here is we can freely tell people about the gospel, but not really give ourselves. And so Paul says that we, we weren't only willing to give you the good news, the gospel, but we were also willing to give our lives. And, and then the last part, again, the way the Amplified says it, because you had become so very dear to us. I think every person that's a part of the body of Christ 
First of all, every person that's born again, you are a minister. And I know we oftentimes use that term with regards to a licensed minister, a preacher. But the bottom line is, every, every born-again person is a minister, is supposed to be a minister. And, and I believe, and this is just kind of my, my, my theory on this, if you will, if you want to get into some big debate about it, I don't know that I'm prepared to do that. I, I'm just, but my, 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 my thoughts is, what are you saying, Pastor Wright? My thoughts is... <laughs> My brother hurt reference for those of you that don't know. But I, I think every person should have two types of ministry going on in your life concurrently. And I would say probably in this order if I was going to prioritize them. And that is just the simple ministry that God does through you. In various settings, various places, various times, various ways. But I also believe every person that's a part of the body and a part of a, a, a church should have an official ministry responsibility. Well, I didn't get I don't even think I got one amen on that one. Wow. I, I think let me say it this way, I think there should we all should have formal and informal. This, what I'm doing here tonight for me as the pastor is a part of my ministry, my responsibility. But, but, but there's, way, there's, there's many other circumstances and settings in which I am and I want to be involved in ministry. But the, 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 the thing that, and I think sometimes, let me back up, I think a lot of times there are things that we start out that the, the motive for doing them is not necessarily the right motive. And in this context, I don't mean necessarily the wrong motive in the sense of pride or, or, or trying to make a name for yourself. I mean in this context... That, that we oftentimes start off doing some things because we, we feel and, and may even believe that we have an obligation to do them. simple example of that is coming together and, and worshiping. I mean, I, let's take a quick survey here. I just had this conversation with a person recently. Let's, let's do it. Let's do a very informal. This will not be a scientific survey. So, How many of you have ever struggled coming into a service and looking around and you feel like, man, everybody else here has got it together and they're doing good, but not me? Look at that. Keep your hands up for a second. Those of you that do not have your hand up, you have hearing problems or you got elbow problems because I don't know how anybody has never. You know what's amazing? I just literally just had a person, I don't see them here, I wouldn't call their name either way, but I, I, I literally just recently had a person. Part of their need for a conversation was their struggle that every time they come, they think everybody else... And I'm like, I have news for you. 
But isn't it? A, how about this? How, how, those of you that are married, you ever cut? You ever come in service and you look around and you're like, man, every other, all, all, not every other, all the other married. Look at all the other married couples. They're all doing great. They're all relationship is great. But I, anybody ever feel any of you married couples ever? Look at that. I can't get no help on this one because neither spouse wants to be the first one to raise their hand. They're like. <laughs> yeah, because you know what we've done? My wife just sent me this this uh, this video on Instagram. I wish there was a way to have shared it. I'm sure there is, but I didn't. I'm not prepared for it. But it's 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 this family of two or three kids, small kids, and they are in the car on the way to church, yelling, screaming, fussing, having all kinds of chaos in the car, getting on each other's nerves, and they come walking through the front door of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us with small kids have had that experience, but the devil sits on our shoulder, and we see everybody else that's faking it the same way we're faking it, but we think we're the only ones. We'll finish this when we get in the car after church. But for now, praise God. Thank you. So I, I think a lot of times we may start off with that ministry role or responsibility that requires commitment and dedication beyond just the, the flow of ministry. We may start off with it out of a sense of obligation. But you know what? I think in a lot of ways, I'm not going to say all the time in every situation, but in a lot of ways, uh, most of the time, you're better off starting off doing the right thing for the wrong reason than not doing it at all. Because God has a way of as you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, even if the motive wasn't the best to begin with, He has a way of transforming that motive and purifying that motive so that it becomes what the motive should be. I've said it, it doesn't happen very often, so don't sit there every service and wonder if this is what's going on. But there are times in which at the beginning of a service, I am worshiping for pretty much one reason. I'm the pastor, I'm up front, and if I don't worship, that's all you're going to be looking at. What? Look, look at pastor. He's, everybody else's worship pastor's sitting. What's wrong with him? So therefore, you know what? It, I, I don't have a choice. But not one time has that ever started that way. That at some point, and usually not very long, but at some point into that, the motive shifts. And it's not out of obligation or duty. It's now coming from inside. And, and I think that's another thing that Paul is touching on here. Because look at what he says again, the way the Amplified says it. We're willing to not just give you the gospel, but we're willing to give you our lives. Not because we have a sense of pressure and obligation to do that, but we have come to love. You've become so dear to us. Wow, what a motivation. You know what? I think I could say, Brother Isaac, we watched this in 2018. When we revamped small groups and started calling our small groups an oikos, we, we, we had several people, several couples that committed to be de deacons. 
that in the beginning, I think they basically committed because we asked them and they felt like they asked me, I probably should do this. But you know what's been amazing to watch? Is if there were any of them that that was really the case, I think I can say that all of them, not that you don't get weary and tired and frustrated sometimes, that's a part of but, but there's been this shift that I'm not, I'm not doing what I do now because I have this obligation or duty, but I'm doing it because you've become dear to me. So I'm, I'm not just willing to share the gospel. You know, I just, not that we really need it, but I, I think here's a great example of people this very moment that are willing to not just share the gospel, but share their lives. All week long, there's an awesome group of volunteers that are making VBS happen. And I tell you what's really neat is I got to stop by for a few minutes last night. A lot of the workers or Sunday school staff who are regularly involved in ministering to our kids. But there are a number of people that are volunteers this week for VBS that have no involvement in kids' ministry any other time of the year. And, and I've never even seen some of them interacting with kids at all. And that's, that's a willingness. Not to just give the gospel, but to, to give our lives. I posted these same pictures on social media yesterday. Some of you probably saw them. I was, I was informed today. I thought this was, I, I, I posted the picture or a video of Brother Josh Lewis and, and uh, him, him being himself. I don't know what else to that. But somebody sent me a message today informing me that not too like within an hour or so before that, he had just been teaching somebody a Bible study and just got done baptizing them. That's, that's, so, so again, I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is not intended to be a, a, a rebuke. If you need it as a rebuke, then so be it. But I, if nothing else, it's to be a challenge to us. And we are, we are, I, I'm not, you know, my personality is not the ooh, positive, whatever kind of, you know, jumpy guy, syrupy, whatever sweet. So I, I don't, I don't do that well, but I'm just going to tell you there, there, there is, there are some amazing things that God has done and is doing in, 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 in us as a group. And, and so part of, the, part of the burden of this, and I don't know if I'll go beyond tonight with this theme or not, but part of the burden of this, I, I don't want us to just be, and I, I believe most of you feel the same way, I don't want this just to be a place where even if we come three times a week, that yeah, well, I go to, you know, check it off. There, there's more available than that. And the world is in desperate need of people who are not willing to just simply share the gospel, but they're also willing to give their own lives. I referenced this author a couple of weeks ago, but he says this, interdependent persons are usually those who, 
who could, by nature of their plentiful resources and strong health, be independent, but rather choose to make their resources available to others. Instead of choosing to consume all they can for themselves, either through accumulating vast savings or through purchasing all kinds of amenities. We are, we are interdependent people. Not, not sure we need each other. If you don't know you need others in the body, you, 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 you need others in the body. We don't, it's, it's not about we need each other in, in, in necessarily in the context that we are, such, we are such wretched people that we need. No. God designed us. We need people. We need each other. And so it, it's, it, this, the body is, is it's about, you know what? Maybe you could make it on your own. You could survive on your own. And in some ways we know that that's not possible. You're not going to heaven by yourself. But the idea that, you know what, I, I've got some, th- I, I've, I've got enough, I've got what I need, and, 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 but, but the willingness, the willingness to do like they did in the book of Acts and have all things in common. James, again, I forget exact chapter and verse, but James says, you have not because you ask not. And most of us, I think, myself included, would respond to that and say, that's not true, I've asked. Well, we should keep that part to ourselves, because then the next verse explains. So, you have not because you ask not, but if you ask and you still don't have, here's the reason. Because you're asking so that you can consume it Upon yourself, you ask amiss, the King James says. You're you're asking for your own personal selfish benefit. But those that are willing to share their lives, I I feel like in almost every one-on-one conversation I've had with people in the last several weeks, it doesn't matter what the topic is. At some point in that conversation, the word motive, the topic of motive comes up. I I think I've even touched on it recently in services. From, From an individual perspective, it's actually a very encouraging thing to me how much weight God puts on motive. But from the observant perspective, the, obser- the perspective of the observer of someone else, it's a very challenging thing how much weight God puts on motive. Because you and I do not have the ability to 100% accurately discern motive all the time. And human nature is we tend toward negative motive. When somebody does something and you don't understand, and there is a positive, good explanation for why they did it, or there's a negative, bad reason for why they did it, which one do you go to? I know all you want to be real spiritual and holy right now, but it... 
we tend toward the negative. It's amazing how much changes in, can change in relationship, marriages, parenting, just simply by choosing to choose to believe it's a right motive. I, I think there's actually a lot of conflict that is a result simply of believing a wrong motive was behind something. So, as outsiders, we, can, we may question or suspect, but God knows the motive. And I've watched. I've watched some people through the years that it appears as though, and there's fruit to this, that they were desirous of some things, not to consume it upon themselves, but because they didn't want to just share the gospel, they wanted to share their lives. And one of the main examples I am referring to with that is, is with regards to, to, to uh, where people live. I've watched as some people who have had a desire not to get a different house or a different apartment or whatever just because they were dissatisfied and and they didn't like what they had anymore and they just but there was a genuine desire I want to be able to do more I want to be able to 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 open up more and help others more and have watched as God has honored that again from the outside you and I may not know the exact motive and the, and the bottom line is this. I'm not saying that doesn't mean there's still not a degree of flesh. I mean, all of us pretty much wouldn't mind living in a little nicer place than where we live. And, but that's, that's, a, that's a part of the amazing thing about the way the kingdom works. When you seek the kingdom first, He blesses you for the sake of the kingdom, but you get to experience some of the benefits of that. So let me, let me, let's go on here. I used these verses a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to dwell on them much. I'm just going to reread them, and I've got them too small on my uh, iPad. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The Living Bible says, now I am coming. We're going to try to read over this first part really fast, because if you're a parent here, it's not really what you want to hear. He says, uh, I'm coming again the third time, and it is still not going to cost you anything. For I don't want your money. I want you. And anyway, you are my children, and little children don't pay for their father's and mother's food. It's the other way around. Parents supply food for their children. And I think the word little children there, little is very relative. (laughs) I am glad to give you myself and all I have for your spiritual good, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. It's the idea of there's people that are more than willing. They'll give money. They'll give good amounts of money in an offering, but don't expect my time. 
Don't expect my talents. Don't expect me to contribute my abilities. Paul is saying, I'm willing to give myself. I'm not just willing to to give resources. I'm willing to give myself. I don't want to get bogged down on it, but I actually had a couple weeks ago, I had somebody that came to me after service. So what, what, what's that part there mean about the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved? The, uh, Adam Clark says this, um, I, will, I will even act toward you with the most affectionate tenderness, though it happens to me. I can't do it. <laughs> Though it happened to me, as it often does to loving fathers, that their disobedient children love them less in proportion as their love to them is increased. Does it not frequently happen that the most disobedient child in the family is that one on which the parent's tenderness is most especially placed? See the parable of the prodigal son. It is in the order of God that it should be so. Else the case of every prodigal would be utterly deplorable. The shepherd feels more for the lost sheep than for the 99 that have not gone astray. And I don't want to get bogged down on it, but I just I think it's an important point that you understand. Don't think that just because you give yourself to people and you're willing to give the gospel and yourself, that that means everybody's just going to think you're the best thing since sliced bread. I made up my mind years ago, or let me rephrase it, I think, because still in the process. I, I made it my goal years ago. I did not want to become bitter in ministry. I can't tell you how many people, pastors, missionaries, men and women of God that have ended up lost because they accumulated bitterness through the years, because they gave of themselves without reservation, they sacrificed, they committed, and they didn't get the thanks that they deserved. Not that they just thought, but the thanks they deserved. And they end up bitter towards people, usually starts with bitterness towards people, but eventually, if not dealt with, becomes bitterness towards God as well. But Paul said, I'm... He's still willing. Even though he knows what some of the results might be, he's still willing to give of himself without reservation. Philippians 2.14, he says this, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And verse 17 says this, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. The New Century Version says it this way, Your faith makes you offer your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. But then he says this, If I have to offer my own blood with your sacrifice, I will be happy and full of joy with all of you. Wow. 
you're already motivated by your faith, your love for God to make a sacrifice. But he's saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to sacrifice myself along with your sacrifice. Paul also says this in Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse number 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that should befall me there. I I think what he's saying is, I I don't know everything that's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem. But here's what I do know. I want you to notice here, The thing that Paul does know that's going to happen is not this great harvest. It's not all these miracles, signs, and wonders. He said, I don't know everything that's going to happen there. But here's what I do know, and the thing I do know, the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither count I, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The Living Bible says, verse 24 this way, but life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. And we got people that, you know, they feel like God's calling them, calling them to be a church planner. And there, if, if God will give them promises of great harvest, hundreds and thousands of souls being saved, and they're willing to go. But Paul says, I I don't know what all's going to happen. The only thing I'm certain is going to happen is I'm going to suffer. I'm going to have to deal with the hardships. I'm going to have to deal with some hardships. How, how quickly would you be willing to respond to God sending you, calling you, if the only thing you were certain of is it's going to be hard? No other guarantees, no other promises. And yet Paul says, even though I know the only thing, the only thing I'm certain of is hardship. Even though that was the only thing he was certain of, he said, I'm not moved by that. I'm still willing to go. I I, I think I may have said it in service. I've said it to a couple of people. I've I've had uh, three surgeries uh, and then the procedure on my elbow last week. And and, and I, 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 I am convinced doctors never, they don't ever really tell you what it's going to be like. At most, they give you a little bit of an indicator. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. One reason, I think, because until you experience it, you just don't know. <laughs> but I think the other thing is if they, if they painted the true picture of what it was going to be like after your surgery, you would be like, thanks, 
I'm good. The pain I've experienced the last seven days in my elbow is absolutely thousand times worse than what I had before. I mean, before it hurt. I reached a point in the last couple of weeks where just trying to drink my coffee or drink a drink hurt. As of right now, that's as high as I can bend my left elbow. I, I could do that before. Why did I do this? <laughs> Thankfully, I've already been through surgery enough to know it's a process. And I have hope and faith that in a couple of months I'll be doing this again with no pain. I was very naive to the process last week. I was, my mind, I was supposed to go to GO Conference. We had district board meetings Thursday morning. So I was supposed to be there for that. And then the GO Conference, I wanted to be at the GO Conference. And they, when I scheduled surgery or scheduled the appointment Wednesday morning and they told me the doctor wanted to go ahead and do the procedure, uh, you know, it's just, all it is is a couple injections. That's all it is. And he said, you, you know, you'll, you'll need to be in a sling for two days. I, okay. I mean, I don't really want to walk around a district event in a sling and everyone, what's wrong with you, but uh, whatever. I got, probably wouldn't have done it. Can I tell you something? If you haven't already experienced this, I got bad news for you. When God calls you, when God gives you direction of what He's calling you to, get excited for a moment, but then just let the excitement go, because He ain't telling you the process. I know the Bible doesn't say it, but my, my imagination of it, I, 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 I picture David... I, I, I imagine David down on his knees before Samuel as Samuel's pouring that horn of oil on his head, anointing him to be king. And while I'm, I, would, I, I, I imagine there was a significant amount of things going through his mind that were very spiritual, spiritual and noble, honorable, I, I imagine that at the same time there was that fleshly side of him that was like, man... Life is about to get really sweet. I've spent my whole life as the youngest. I get all the dirty jobs. I get all the mistreatment. I get all the leftovers. I am now king. I think David was sitting there listening because he just knew any moment he was going to hear chariots coming in the distance that were going to whisk him away to the palace. I got a question. If, what do you think would have happened if Samuel would have shown up to Jesse's house and he'd gone through all of David's other brothers twice and, and, and God told him they're not the one and then he got any more so he gets David and David comes before Samuel. What do you think would have happened if, if Samuel would have said, now listen, listen David, I'm here to anoint you to king. God has chosen you to be king of Italy. Are you ready? He said, no, I think that's exactly, and that's what we would all do. 
There's got to be something that rises up inside of you that says, I don't know what the challenges are going to be. I don't know what the obstacles are going to be, but none of these things move me. If God has called me, if God has chosen me, it may not be an easy path. There may be some ups and downs, but none of these things move me. I'm not just willing to tell the gospel. I'm willing to give my life. Telling you what, I, I am, I am, if you know anything about my wife and I, we believe in, we support family. One of our passions and burdens is to have healthy families in this congregation. And I don't think you're supposed to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. But I am going to tell you, I am a little bit concerned. That we've let some things creep into our attitudes and spirits and there's, there's not always as much of a willingness to sacrifice as we should have. What would have happened if Jesus would have established <laughs> heading into ministry His boundaries? Well, I'm willing to give of myself this much. I'm willing to to do all of this ministry stuff to this point, but don't expect me to suffer too much. Don't don't expect it to be an inconvenience. We wouldn't be here. I I believe in the fact that you and I need to... I I taught several years ago the the principle of the disciples that that they took time to mend their nets because if they didn't mend their nets, there there would be tears that would get in their nets and and when they're trying to catch fish, there'd be holes that were so big that the fish wouldn't get caught in the nets and they knew we've got to take time to care about our nets and I think there's a principle in there for you and I. We're not supposed to just run ourselves into the ground all the time. But we need to find more balance than some of us have gotten. Because some of us have swung to that other side. That I'll go this far, I'll do this much, but that's it. Oh, what you're saying is you're willing to share the gospel, but don't expect... Don't expect you to give yourself. I know what awaits me, but none of these things move me. Let me tell you something, folks. You and I didn't get here without people. And we can start from Bishop and Mother Wright with the context of Antioch. But I'm talking, just just keep working it backwards. You and I did not get here without people that weren't willing to give the gospel and themselves. We got here because people knew. The only thing I'm certain of is there's going to be some hardship, but it doesn't move me. I'm still pursuing. I'm still pressing. As Paul said, I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm pushing towards the mark. I want to to spend the next few minutes here this evening, the last part of this, I just heard, and we've heard it before here, we've had men of God say it here, but I just, I just heard recently, um, last week, a message I was watching while I was recovering, and, and, and a man of God prophesied 
that um, prodigals were going to be a huge part. It may Actually, it may have been in the message I posted today. I don't remember. But prodigals were going to be a huge part of this end-time work that God does. If that's going to happen, the church is going to have to have the right attitude, the right spirit. The atmosphere, the climate of the church, corporately but also individual congregations, has got to be the right atmosphere with the right attitude, the right spirit. The, uh, I think it may, no, there's at least, two, I guess there's two. There's two books in the Bible that are only one chapter. One of those is Jude, and the other one is Philemon, or Philemon, however you say it. We're probably both wrong. There's something that's so intriguing to me about this this book, this one-chapter book. I preached a message from this chapter several years ago now. There's sort of a a central character in this chapter. That is a a man by the name of Onesimus. Easton's Bible Dictionary says of him that his name means useful. He was a slave who, after robbing his master Philemon at Colossus, fled to Rome, where he was converted by the Apostle Paul who sent him back to his master with the epistle which bears his name. So this, 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 this guy is, the, is really the, the focal point of this whole book, this whole one-chapter book. And, and the theme of what is going on in this one-chapter letter from Paul is just pretty amazing. So it's only one chapter. It's not a really long chapter. I want to read it to you from the, uh, from the Passion Translation. According to Hitchcock's Bible names, the word Onesimus also means profitable. Folks, we've we got to be careful that we don't judge people. Let me rephrase that. We've got to be careful that we don't misjudge people. Because in the context of what Paul is writing about here, there was a point at which you would not have thought of Onesimus as being someone who was profitable or useful. But because of what had happened, the conversion and what God had done in his life, That's what his name had always been, and that's what it had always meant. There's some people that's got a name with a good meaning. That maybe they haven't lived up to the name yet. Don't write them off. Don't give up on them yet. So listen to listen the way and and listen listen the way the. The Passion Translation says this. 
from Paul, a prisoner of the Anointed One, Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our precious friend and companion in this work, to the church that meets in his house along with our dear sister, Aphia, and our fellow soldiers, Archippus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ pour out His grace and peace upon you. I am always thankful... I, I got to tell you, I, I was—I don't know—I was going to say this at some point, maybe later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. This is at least the way the, tra- the Passion Translation says this. This is some of the most amazing passive-aggressive thing you've ever heard. I mean, this is—if you need a, an example of passive aggressiveness, this right here, I think, is an absolute classic example. He says, I am always thankful to my God as I remember you in my prayer. He is buttering him up. Because I'm hearing reports about your faith in the Lord Jesus and how much love you have for all His holy followers. I can, I can imagine as Philemon is reading the beginning of this letter, he's like, that's me. I pray for you that, your, that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ. Your love has impacted me and brings me great joy and encouragement. For the hearts of the believers have been greatly refreshed through you, dear brother. And he's setting him up. Even though, watch this, even though I have enough boldness in Christ that I could command you to do what is right. I mean, I could just go ahead and tell you what to do, but I'd much rather make an appeal because of our friendship. So here I am, an old man, a prisoner for Christ, making my loving appeal to you. It is on behalf of my child whose spiritual father I became while here in prison, that is Onesimus. Formerly he was not useful or valuable to you, but now he is valuable to both of us. He is my very heart and I've sent him back to you with this letter. The King James says it, I, didn't, I don't recall seeing it quite as clearly in the Passion Translation here, but the King James points out that Onesimus was a former slave of Philemon. And maybe I'll read on and it'll touch on it. I would have preferred to keep him at my side so that he could take your place as my helper during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, I did not want to make this decision without your consent so that your act of kindness would not be a matter of obligation but out of willingness. What else is he going to do at this point, Paul? Perhaps you could think of it this way. He was separated from you for a short time so that you could have him back forever. So welcome him no longer as a slave, but more than that, as a dearly loved brother. He is that to me especially, and how much more so to you, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. So if you consider me your friend and partner, accept him the same way you would accept me. And if he has stolen anything from you or owes you anything, 
I'm not just willing to tell you the gospel, Philemon. I'm willing to give my life. Put it on my account. I, Paul, have written these words in my own handwriting. That's, that's kind of significant because some of the other epistles, Paul had somebody doing the writing for him. But he makes a point here to say, I've written this in my own handwriting. I promise to pay you back everything to say nothing of the fact you owe me your very self. <laughs> that reminds me, anybody ever hear that old Surly Caesar song? I forget the title of it offhand, but a little kid comes in the kitchen, got on a piece of paper, written all the things. No charge. There we go. No charge. Did this around the house, did that around the house. He'd come to collect. And then Shirley Caesar breaks out for the nine months. I carried you growing inside me, no charge. For the nights I sat up with you, prayed for you, doctored you, no charge. When you count it all up, the real cost of my love is no charge. You need to, you need to know that one and hold my mule. If you don't know those two, that's your homework for the weekend. Shouting John, somebody hold my mule. So the little kid takes the paper back and writes on there, paid in full. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, I'm going to pay you all this stuff. I'm willing to pay you all this stuff, except you really, you already owe me. Yes, my brother, enrich my soul in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm writing to you with confidence that you will comply with my request and do even more than what I'm asking. Man, he just lays it on him. <laughs> and would you do more? And would you do one more thing for me since I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you soon? Please prepare a guest room for me. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in the Anointed One, Jesus sends his greetings of peace to you. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my companions in this ministry. May the unconditional love of the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, be with your spirit. What else do you do to that? Nope, sorry Paul, forget it. That's not happening. <laughs> Paul could have just simply said, you know, hey, Onesimus, head, head back home and I hope all goes well. That's, that's being willing to s spread the gospel. But he was willing to give his life. He was willing to intervene. You know what's going to happen? I don't want to say this, this. I think this term gets used sometimes lightly and frivolously and whatever for drama's sake and so at the risk of that I'm going to prophesy to you some of you need to hear me right now there's some prodigals that are coming back that are like you're Onesimus they wronged you at some point they owe you they may owe you literally some money borrowed you did work they never paid you I got a question what's the response going to be Are you going to be a spreader of the rumors? 
Yeah, you see so-and-so that just came? You won't believe what they did to me. Or will you be willing to be a Paul that intercedes on their behalf, that steps in the gap, that, that rather than trying to expose and punish, you are, you are there willing to give of yourself. So I think there's also some great leadership lessons in Paul's approach here as well. Again, he said, I could just tell you what to do, Philemon. Rather than that, I'm going to butter you up real good. I'm going I'm to set you up so you don't really have a choice but not. What do you do when somebody comes to you? I've heard you are the best whatever. You or there ain't nobody else. can. Would you mind? Do, what are you going to say? One more quote from the book I've referenced. The development of meaningful relationships where every member carries a significant sense of belonging is central to what it means to be the church. The only way that happens is for us to be willing not to just share the gospel. We've got to be willing to share our own lives. I used it a couple weeks ago. I'll just reference it again tonight. But Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friend. And again, everybody in this place right now, there's somebody that you say, and probably would, be willing to take a bullet for. But most of us will never be put in that position. And yet we have opportunities on a daily basis to lay down our lives for somebody else. Rearrange our schedule. Change some plans. Make adjustments to how many people are sitting at the dinner table, etc., etc. I pray that we would continue because I believe we're, we're growing in it. I pray that we would continue to be a congregation. It's not just willing to spread the gospel, but we're willing to give our lives. And again, I'm not, we, I mean, there's so many people that you give our, you know, I'll lay down my life for the gospel and I'll be a martyr. And why, why, why can't we just, on a daily basis, just on a daily basis, just lay down our lives for one another. There's a lot of people that are willing to spread the gospel. But how many are willing to give of themselves? Would you just 
If you would, right where you're seated for just a moment or two here, would you just bow your head and whatever it is the Spirit of the Lord may be impressing on you this evening, whatever part of this, and I trust that somewhere throughout this tonight something has resonated for you and your spirit. May not be the same part for everybody, but whatever that may be, would you just would you just take a moment right now and let that just kind of soak in and would you just talk to the Lord about that for a moment? If it's if it's something that He's dealing with you about a change you need to make in the way you're doing something or a willingness to do something or or whatever it is, would you just would you talk to Him for a few moments right now? Father. Help us, and I pray that you would help me. God, I want to be able to say what Paul said, that not just willing to share the gospel, but willing to give of myself. Willing to spend and to be spent. Willing that even if the only thing I'm certain of and in, in going into a situation or committing to a calling from you, if the only thing that I'm really certain of is that there's going to be challenges and difficulties that not moved by that, not swayed by that, but still willing to respond, still willing to answer. Lord, I pray that as we continue to see the harvest that you've promised and a part of that harvest being prodigals that used to be a part of us or used to be a part of the church somewhere and they make their way back home here, I pray that you would help us to have the the same kind of attitude and actions toward them as, as Paul did with Onesimus and intervening on his behalf with Philemon, Lord. Let that be the the characteristics and the qualities that we exhibit as a body. Not looking to hold people's pasts, failures, mistakes, wrongdoings against them, but to be willing to forgive, to be willing to show grace, to be willing to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. Jesus. You'd be willing just for a moment, you can just keep seated if you want to, but... Would you join me in this old, very simple course as a prayer as we, as we close out this evening? Here I am, Lord, here I am, I give all myself to Thee. Here I am, here I am, Lord, here I am. Let your Spirit move through me. 
I give all myself to Thee. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let Your Spirit move through me. time. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all myself to Thee. Here I am. Here I am, Lord, here I am. Let your Spirit move through me, here I am. Father, I pray that somehow the word spoken tonight would be seed sown into our hearts to produce in us individually and collectively as a body what you would desire, Lord. I come against the devourer who would like to steal the seed of your word before it has a chance to produce what you intend. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name, hope to see you at some point this weekend. In Jesus' name.